Shalom. We are so glad you're joining us on this episode of Our Hope. We created this podcast as a resource for followers of Yeshua, where they can learn more about Israel, the Bible, and the Jewish community. Together, we discuss Messianic apologetics, dive into Scripture, and hear stories from Jewish believers in Jesus. If you've enjoyed our podcast series, please consider supporting us at ourhopepodcast.com support. You could also help us by sharing this podcast on social media, talking about it with your friends and family, or by writing a review on Apple Podcasts. We are so grateful for you, and we hope this episode of Our Hope is both enlightening and encouraging. Welcome to Our Hope, a production of Chosen People Ministries. Shalom, this is Abe Vasquez, and I will be your host for today's episode. After celebrating Passover, the weeks leading up to the next holiday, Shavuot, can feel a little anticlimactic, especially this year, as many are still living in quarantine. It can be difficult to embrace the joyful anticipation of Pentecost. If you follow our ministry on social media, then you may have noticed over the past few weeks that we have been counting the Omer, along with the worldwide Jewish community. But what is an Omer? And why do we count it? Today, we will be talking to one of our ministry staff, who is based in Brooklyn, Robert Walter, about what the reason is behind counting the Omer and why it should inspire hope within us. Robert, welcome to Our Hope. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, thank you, Abe. It's wonderful to be here. So have you ever been on any podcast before? Actually, no, this is my first one. And uh, I will say that I'm an experienced podcast listener, but uh, this is my first time ever being on a podcast. And you're a native New Yorker, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, that's right. And where? what part of New York are you from? Uh, New Jersey. <laughs> Well, most New Yorkers are gonna probably gonna stop listening now, but uh, <laughs> it's understandable. Understandable. <laughs> so, tell me, what's your favorite New York dish? Oh man, where to begin? I think, um, I mean, you can't go wrong with a slice, even a, even if it's a dollar slice from somewhere, a slice of pizza. Um, in Brooklyn, I really love Defara Pizza. It's actually not far from us where we are in uh, in the Midwood section of Brooklyn, and uh, yeah. Yeah, we're not sponsoring Defara, but I have to say it's probably my favorite slice of pizza in all of New York. It's made by this old man that he's just a magician when it comes to pizza. It takes about 45 minutes, but it's worth it. <laughs> very, very worth it. So tell me a little bit about your background. Yeah, so I grew up in New Jersey uh, in Bayonne, and um, which is not far from, from the city. It's actually just right across the Hudson River sandwiched between Jersey City and Staten Island and um, didn't grow up in any kind of religious home, um, came to the Lord, came to believe in Jesus as the Messiah when I was 19 years old 
And he just radically saved me from a life of drugs and rebellion and uh, depression. And uh, yeah, so after I came to the Lord, I uh, moved down to West Palm Beach, Florida, uh, that area. And it was while I was down there, that's when I was really introduced to Chosen People Ministries. And God really gave me a burden for bringing the gospel to the Jewish people. You've been with Chosen People Ministries for how long now? So uh, I officially came on staff in January of 2007, but uh, I've been full-time with Chosen People since 2010. Wow. So 10 years. Yeah. That's that's awesome. So over that time, what kind of things have developed? Like you, you started as a missionary, and I would imagine you grew into different roles. What, what are some of the things that you're doing right now? Okay, yeah. So uh, it was 10 years ago uh, that we became full-time with Chosen People, and that's when we moved from West Palm Beach back up to the Northeast to Brooklyn. And uh, since I've been in Brooklyn, I've gone through the Feinberg Center for Messianic Jewish Studies, the seminary program that we have, and I earned my master's degree there. And I've been serving um, for probably the last five years now, six years, uh, as the Brooklyn branch director for Chosen People Ministries. I have taught Greek, uh, first year Greek at the seminary, and I'm also one of three congregational leaders uh, at Beth Sar Shalom Brooklyn, which is a congregation that we've planted here uh, in Brooklyn. That's awesome. So, you know, I've really been looking forward to this topic um, of counting the Omer. I didn't really know much about um, counting the Omer, you know, before Chosen People Ministries. And, and it's something that I, I've learned over the years. So, Robert, what is the Omer and what does it mean to count it? Excellent question, Abe. So the, uh, the Omer okay, is really it's just a word that is used for an agricultural measurement uh, in Scripture. It's, it's a Hebrew word, omer, and uh, it's directly from the Scriptures. And it's almost, it's just a measurement. So if you think about like a bushel of wheat or a, a pound of corn or something like that, that's what omer is. It's, it's a measurement. And it's taken, uh, the, the idea of counting the omer and what's happening during this season uh, it's taken from Leviticus 23, verses 15 and 16, uh, where we find a command there. Um, and this is what it says. It, it, the Lord is speaking through Moses. He says, you shall count for yourselves from the day after the Sabbath, from the day when you brought in the sheaf of the wave offering. So right there, that word uh, sh that's translated into English as sheaf is Omer. Um, and, you know, you continue reading the verse. It says, there shall be seven complete Sabbaths. You shall count 50 days to the day after the seventh Sabbath. Then you shall present a new grain offering to the Lord. So <clears throat> really the counting of the Omer is based off of this passage. And uh, what does that mean? Well, uh, this passage in Leviticus 23 is sort of sandwiched right in between uh, the Passover, the, celebrate, the commands to celebrate the Passover, and also the Feast of First Fruits, um, and, and the next holiday, the next appointed time, uh, which is, in the Hebrew, it's called Shavuot, which literally means weeks, because the command here is to count seven weeks. Uh, in uh, Greek, it's called Pentecost. So that's why, you know, you'll find either Shavuot or Pentecost being mentioned uh, in the scriptures here. And when we read the scriptures, when we look at these uh, holidays, whether it's Passover or Pentecost or Shavuot, 
uh, we see that some major, major things took place on those uh, days during that season. So we see some major things take place on Passover and on Pentecost or Shavuot. Uh, on Passover, of course, in the Torah, in the history of Israel, we see that the major uh, salvation event, redemption event, deliverance event took place uh, on Passover as God brought the children of Israel out of slavery, out of bondage uh, from Egypt. Uh, and then for 50 days, beginning with the Passover from Egypt, leading up to the next big event that we see there in Exodus, 50, about 50 days later, is the giving of the Torah on Mount Sinai. So what's being celebrated on Shavuot today by the Jewish community is the giving of the Torah at Mount Sinai. So where does the counting of the Omer come in? Well, the counting of the Omer is, again, this time where for those 50 days between the Passover and, and the redemption that took place on Passover and the giving of the Torah at Sinai, the Jewish community will count uh, every single day during that time period. And what's interesting about it is Shavuot, or Pentecost, is the only one of those appointed times of God in Leviticus 23 where no specific calendar date is given for when you are supposed to celebrate it. Uh, like Passover, it's the 14th day of the first month. Um, uh, Rosh Hashanah, it's the first day of the seventh month. Yom Kippur, the 10th day of the seventh month, and so on and so forth. But with Shavuot, it's different. There's no calendar day that's given. So the counting of the Omer is like this, uh, this chain that connects the Passover with Shavuot, because you're counting every single day so that you're keeping track leading up so that you'll know when to celebrate Shavuot. Wow, that is quite the opening. <laughs> wow. Can you talk a little bit more about how it's observed today in the Jewish community? Obviously, we don't have farms in Brooklyn. <laughs> I mean, there are hipster farms, but <laughs> we right. don't have those kind of right. farms. So, you know, what, uh, how, how are they observing uh, this counting of the Omer today? Yeah, excellent question. So I'll also add this. Not only do we not have farms, okay, but counting the Omer and many of these appointed times of God and the offerings that would take place that would coincide with these holidays whether it was Passover or First Fruits or Shavuot or Yom Kippur, so many of them are dependent on the temple. And there's no temple in Jerusalem, so therefore no offerings are being made. But many do um, observe this. Many do uh, continue to count the Omer today. So even right now as we're speaking, there's uh, communities that are counting the Omer. And primarily in the Jewish community, it's the more religious or orthodox segments of the Jewish community that observe the counting of the Omer. And how is it done? Well, it's counted uh, every single day. You keep track of it. And it's counted in the evening. So during the evening prayers, it's called the Ma'ariv prayers. Um, you know, the, the, uh, the, the worshiper will pray through the standard prayers, and then there's just an added blessing at the end of the prayers. Uh, that's I'll, I'll just read the English to you. It says, Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us with your commandments and commanded us to count the Omer. Today is the... And then you'll fill in the blank with which day it is. So, for example, if it was the first day of the Omer, you would say, today is the first day of the Omer. 
Uh, or if it was the 15th day of the Omer, you would say today is the 15th day of the Omer, which is two weeks and one day. And then after uh, that blessing, that prayer, um, some communities, some individuals will read Psalm 67 verses 1 through 7. Uh, because when you look at Psalm 67 in the Hebrew, it has 49 words. So the idea is you're, you're reading this passage and it's a beautiful psalm. Uh, it's a really beautiful psalm talking about God's salvation and God's salvation extending to all the earth. And why 49? Well, because you're counting uh, these seven weeks, which would be 49 days plus one to get you to 50. Got it. Wow. So, you know, it's it's so interesting because it seems like a lot of the high holidays and the Jewish festivals, they all have this common theme of remembering and kind of forcing the Jewish community to remember something specific. It And it's not just, it doesn't feel like, you know, an American holiday, like July 4th or anything. Uh, it, it feels a little bit more deeper and in, more intentional than that. Um, especially with counting the Omer, you're kind of, you're dependent on Passover to mm-hmm. then know where you're headed. Right. So exactly. talk a little bit about that. Like why, why is it so intentional for the Jewish community to, to remember these things? Yeah, so at the heart of it, at the heart of the counting of the Omer, functioning as that chain linking Passover and Shavuot is this idea of liberty, of proclaiming liberty. So the idea is that at the Passover, Israel was liberated physically from Egypt. And it's leading up, and you're on this journey, uh, you know, some major events took place during that journey, the crossing of the Red Sea, all of that. And 50 days later, you're, you're on this journey leading up to what's considered a spiritual liberty that comes on Shavuot with the giving of the Torah at Mount Sinai. So uh, really, that, that is like, if we're going to find some kind of like unique uh, intentional meaning or spiritual significance uh, to this time, it really has to, it brings our minds back to this idea of liberty. And what's also interesting about this is that there's uh, some parallels to this idea of counting to f- counting 50 and marking 50 off and, uh, and connecting it with liberty. Uh, if you think of the year of Jubilee, okay, in Leviticus 25, uh, in that chapter, uh, that chapter is, uh, has quite a bit to say about this year of Jubilee. And when would it take place? Well, Israel was supposed to count for 50 years. And every 50th year, there would be this, this, uh, this great celebration, uh, the year of Jubilee. And the year of Jubilee would begin on Yom Kippur of that 50th year. Uh, this idea of, you know, what do you find on Yom Kippur? This national day of atonement, this spiritually being set free and liberated. Uh, and then what takes place? Well, in Leviticus 25.10, it says this, You shall thus consecrate the 50th year and proclaim a release through the land to all its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you, and each of you shall return to his own property, and each of you shall return to his, his family. So there was a lot of being set free uh, going on during the year of jubilee. And again, you know, if we're looking at the counting of the Omer and the, this idea of counting to 50 and marking it off, liberty and being set free is at the heart of it. 
my hairs were kind of standing up when you were talking about the, you know, the year of Jubilee, just kind of thinking about what's going on now. We've, you know, all, we're all home. We're reconnecting with our families. There's some beautiful things happening, you know, even though it's, it's a really horrible time for a lot of people. You know, I'm not trying to say this is a year of Jubilee or anything like that, but, you know, I, I just can't help but see some sort of parallel with the season that we're in, with mm. the season that the Jewish people are in, you know, of counting the Omer. It's so fascinating. Um, and I think yeah. we're going to talk a little bit more about that parallel later. But man, that is just pretty amazing. So jumping to the Christian community, is there any parallel or any observance um, that's similar to the counting of the Omer, for, but for Christians? So kind of. Um, there's not really like a daily counting or blessings of the Omer, so to speak. Uh, but there's a different kind of counting that's happening in much of the Christian church in, in many Christian communities. Um, uh, you'll find in some Christian communities that uh, people will, will be counting from Easter leading up to Pentecost. Because like I mentioned earlier, uh, we have that great, we should be celebrating on Pentecost because God did an amazing thing in pouring out his Holy Spirit on that day. What's, uh, what's a little different about it, though, is that the Christian Pentecost, the Christian reckoning of Pentecost, it's different than the Jewish or, you know, the biblical counting uh, from Passover to Shavuot. What's different about it? They begin counting from different points. So most years, the Christian celebration of Pentecost will fall on a different day than the Jewish celebration of Shavuot. So, for example, this year, the uh, Shavuot on the Hebrew calendar will begin on the evening of May 28th and last all through May 29th whereas the Christian Pentecost will take place on Sunday, May 31st. Got it. So if that's the case, should Christians be aware of the counting of the Omer, or should they participate in any way of counting of the Omer? Yeah, so I would say that, uh, I mean, it's definitely a great thing to be aware of the counting of the Omer. Um, why? It's, it's part of the foundations of New Testament faith. You know, the, the foundation that the Christian faith is built upon is, uh, is Jewish. And when we look at what took place during that time as the disciples, the apostles in, that, in, in the first century, the year that Jesus went to the cross on Passover and rose from the dead three days later, during that year, the disciples would have been counting, uh, looking ahead to Shavuot. Uh, and there most likely was some kind of expectation on their part. And we see that quite a bit took place during that time period, during that that counting of the Omer between uh, when Jesus died on Passover and when the Holy Spirit was poured out on, uh, on Shavuot. And on top of that, even, you know, the idea the, at the heart of the celebration is this idea of liberty and uh, being liberated and this expectation and this waiting, you know, this, this uh, hope and looking forward to it. I, I know that I can speak for myself for, sh uh, for sure, but uh, in the midst of this quarantine, especially in New York City, it's uh, it's starting to wear on me a bit. You know, it's uh, I, the only image that comes to mind is like a racehorse, you know, like pent up behind the gate, waiting for that bell to ring. So and those doors to fling open so that we can actually get out again and sort of begin to return to some sense of normalcy or, you know, a new normal, if uh, as some people are, are describing it. Uh, but, you know, spiritually, I think there's there's more to it. There's more to that as well. You know, and again, during that time, 
we see a lot of expectation, a lot of waiting on behalf of, on behalf of the apostles. Uh, and we see Jesus do quite a bit. For 40 days after his death, burial, and resurrection, he continually appeared to the disciples uh, and to many others. You know, in 1 Corinthians 15, uh, we read about uh, Yeshua appearing. I'll just read it. 1 Corinthians 15, beginning in verse 3. It says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Messiah died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Kephas, Peter, then to the twelve, and after that he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me also." For I am the last of the apostles and not fit to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. So it was, again, during the counting of the Omer when all of these appearances were taking place. You know, we're talking about Yeshua appearing to the disciples on the road to Emmaus and giving what was, even though it wasn't recorded word for word, it was probably one of the best uh, teachings on messianic prophecy ever given as Yeshua began to unpack all that was written about him in the Torah, in Moses, in the prophets, in the Psalms, in the writings. Um, we see that taking place. We see him eating. We see him drinking. Uh, you know, there's a fish fry that takes place on the shore of Galilee with him and the disciples at the end of John. Many, many major things, ma major things took place that are very significant for us. Wow. And one that I think is super important for us is the ascension. Mm. Talk, talk more about that. Uh, why is that important or significant for believers today? So the ascension of Yeshua is, uh, it, it's almost like God was legitimizing what Jesus had done for us. Wow. In the fact that Jesus went to the cross and died for our sins, and then after that rose from the dead on the third day, and appeared to his disciples and appeared to many others and was teaching about the mysteries of the kingdom. The fact that he ascended into heaven is like the divine stamp of, of approval. It's like God the Father affirming everything that Yeshua went through, affirming his death, affirming his resurrection, affirming the miracles that he performed, affirming the, um, the teachings that he shared, that he spoke. Why does it affirm it? Because it's proof that Jesus never died again. Mm. He was simply taken up into heaven. And at that moment, at the, uh, at the ascension, uh, we see like almost like a transition in Yeshua's ministry. We see, we, we get hints at his royal ministry, you know, him taking his seat at the throne, at the right hand of the Father, okay? Uh, sort of like uh, entering into his Davidic role as the king. Mm -hmm. uh, but at the same time, we see a transition into his more priestly role, his priestly ministry, where, you know, we have passages that talk about him making constant intercession on our behalf. And even when he ascended, which is really interesting, mm. at the end of Luke, during Luke's telling there, in Luke 24, verses 50 through 52, we see Yeshua as he is about to ascend. All right, this is what it says. And he led them out as far as Bethany, and he lifted up his hands 
and he blessed them. While he was blessing them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they, after, after worshiping him, they returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple praising God. So what's interesting about this passage is the way that Luke describes what Yeshua did right before he began to ascend. He lifted his hands and he blessed them, all right? That kind of language is the same kind of language that we see in Leviticus when we see the, the uh, function of the high priest. Um, at the end of Leviticus chapter nine, okay? Leviticus chapter nine, we see the very first sacrifice and offering being made um, in the tabernacle by the Levitical priesthood. And Aaron was the high priest. And at the end, after making the offering, after making atonement for the people, the people fall down on their faces and they begin to worship God and exalt God. And what does Aaron do? He comes down from the temple, all right? So he makes, he, uh, makes a descent, okay? He descends and then he lifts his hands and he proclaims a blessing over the people. And uh, in Numbers chapter six, you know, that blessing, that Aaronic blessing, that benediction that's giving, given is uh, in the Hebrew, it's May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Okay? So those were the priestly descriptions that we have of that kind of blessing. But we see the formula is very similar at the end of Luke. What does Yeshua do? Instead of descending, he, while he's ascending, lifts his hands and proclaims a blessing upon his disciples. Wow. And, uh, you know, some of the other parting words of Yeshua, you know, him talking about giving peace to his disciples, mm -hmm. right? And that's, you know, part of the verbiage of the ironic blessing, the priestly blessing that we see. So that, you know, that's just one of like the unique little similarities. Mm -hmm. But also, I mean, again, I think it extends this idea of the priestly ministry of Yeshua. You know, in Hebrews chapter 9, actually all throughout the book of Hebrews, one of uh, the author of Hebrews, one of his favorite titles for Jesus is our high priest mm -hmm. or our great high priest. So it comes all throughout the book of Hebrews. And again, we see part of the ministry of Yeshua, of Jesus, as our priest, when he ascended into heaven. In Hebrews 9, he lets us know that uh, Yeshua entered into the heavenly tabernacle, okay, the heavenly reality. And he entered in not with the blood of goats and bulls and calves, but with his own blood. And he sprinkled his own blood onto the heavenly mercy seat, having obtained eternal redemption for for us, for, for the redeemed. Wow. So, yeah, I think these are these are part of the things that we see going on with the ascension again taking place during the counting of the omer wow that that is amazing so you mentioned you know jesus appearing to the disciples during the counting of the omer the disciples didn't know when he was going to appear to them so it's almost as if they were waiting for him without even knowing they were waiting for him and I think that's an amazing parallel to, again, today, I keep bringing it back to today because I can't help but see the parallels that we're all waiting. And I think there are many people out there that don't even realize that they're waiting for Jesus and he will appear when, when he's ready to appear to them. Yeah, I think that's a great point. I think that's an excellent point. And um, you're right. The apostles, the disciples, they didn't know when he was going to show up. 
And, you know, we see in some of the responses of, of the disciples, like they didn't know exactly what to do during that time. You know, Peter was ready to go fishing. You know, he, he was ready to, to return back to the nets, back to what his life was before Jesus ever entered into it. And uh, so, yeah, there was this waiting, this, this expectation. And, um, you know, that is a big part of what we see during the counting of the Omer. But also if we extend it to what we see with, you know, all that happens in the New Testament during this time period, during this counting of the Omer, especially with the Ascension. Because after the Ascension, after Yeshua ascended um, in Acts chapter 1, verse 11, the disciples are standing there. They watch as he ascends in, into the clouds, into heaven. And then they're just staring up the, at the sky. And then all of a sudden, these angelic figures appear. And uh, this is what they say in Acts 1.11. They also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. So what was tied in to the ascension is the return. Okay, it doesn't end with the ascension. This plan of God does not end. The story does not end with Yeshua, with Jesus, just simply going and being taken up into heaven and then that's it, end of story, roll the credits. No, what's tied in, what, what is the ascension is as much about him coming back as it is about him going up. And until that time comes, until he returns, what do we do? We wait, we wait. And this is something, you know, honestly, like you mentioned, during this time period, this uh, unique point where so many are quarantined, so many are out of work, so many are out of school or doing school online, uh, we're waiting, right? We're waiting to be set free. We're like those racehorses waiting for that gate to fling open so that we can go out and be with each other again. There's something so much greater that we are waiting for something so much greater that we are waiting for. And if you're a believer in Jesus, a believer in Yeshua, you know, what are we waiting for? Well, I just want to read to you from 1 Peter chapter 1, all right? 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Yeshua the Messiah, Jesus the Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus the Messiah from the dead to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Hmm. That is what we are waiting for. We have an inheritance that is that is sure, okay? It's undefiled. It, you know, it won't pass away. It won't perish. It won't fade away. It is reserved in heaven for you. So if you are a follower of Jesus, if you have been born anew through the blood of the Lamb, Jesus, our Passover, then it's like, you know, there's this beautiful banquet table, okay? And, you know, we read about this great banquet in the future. We read about it in Isaiah 25, uh, throughout Revelation. Uh, and it, that passage that Peter wrote there, it's almost like, hey, you know, uh, there's a little card at that table that's got your name on it. Mm. And no one can take it away. Amen. 
It is a spot reserved for you. So what are we waiting for? As we're waiting in all of this, as we're waiting for this pandemic to you know, subside and for us to be set free, let's wait for the greater liberty, the greater deliverance that has been reserved for us, that is part of the inheritance that we have through Jesus. Amen. You know, and that's, that's why this podcast is called Our Hope, because it really means the hope that we have that Jesus is going to return and that we're going to see him again. Robert, thank you so much. I would just like to remind you all, God is still with us and still working in our lives, even when we are waiting for him to move. May you feel his peace during these weeks of counting the Omer, knowing that there are greater things still to come. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. This episode of Our Hope is made thanks to Dr. Mitch Glazer, Nicole Vaca, Grace Sui, and Robert Walter. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Thanks for listening to Our Hope. If you like our show and want to know more, check out ourhopepodcast.com or chosenpeople.com. See you next time.